how are we doing this? Are we are we just going to do like uh, I mean we can't just do the West Wing thing. Um, we're total. This is literally our first conversation about this thing. Seriously, you want to be like, how are the audience? What do you mean? How we're going to do it? Well, we're going to play our theme song. Yeah, which we'll have in a day or two, which will be great. Mm-hmm. Do we even need to say you're listening to the audit? Yeah, you always have to introduce. You like to do that podcast. Do you want to keep that up? No, I know you enjoyed it. A, you enjoyed it very much. No, no, that's it. That's a thing you should do. You should also each introduce yourself separately so people can know your voices. Correct. We're going to do that after you introduce. Okay. Well, let's do it, man. We'll play All the right. theme song. We play the theme song. This is the theme the song lever. may or may it's not f- have the word the audit in it. I don't know. It's the first episode of the lever. No, and I am. Uh, we're, not the, we're not the David. lever. Oh shit! Right. <laughs> You're listening to the audit. That's right. You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs They take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it Your trapper keep a rattle on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the This podcast is brought to you by The Lever, a reader-supported investigative news outlet. You can go to levernews.com to find all of their reporting. You can also subscribe to Lever News weekly news podcast, Lever Time, which is available on all major podcast players. If you'd like to support this show, head over to levernews.com slash audit to become a paid supporter. Basically, The Lever built its own version of Patreon, and they even cut out the middleman. And this is how it works. When you become a paid supporter, part of that money goes to the creative team at the audit and part of that money goes to the lever. So not only are you supporting this show, but you'll be directly supporting the levers independent journalism. As an added bonus, every audit supporter will also get access to the levers premium content, including their exclusive newsletters, private podcast feed, ebooks and live events. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can also find the audit's tip jar at levernews.com slash audit and leave us a tip. Uh, this is our first episode of the audit on the Lever uh, Network, and I am uh, a ho- one of the hosts, Dave Anthony. And Dave, Dave, who are you for our listeners who don't know? I am uh, I'm a writer. I've been a writer in Hollywood um, for different TV shows, a little bit of screenwriting. I am a comedian for like 30 years uh i am a podcaster i have a podcast called the dollop which is a history podcast and uh acting i've done acting too i've been acting on tv shows and whatnot and a wga nominated tv writer we should mention true uh and i am i am uh the other co-host josh olson i am a screenwriter um dave that's your cue i'm gonna pretend to be as humble as you are easy to do 
That's your cue, Dave. What? To, to mention that I'm not Justin. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. Josh, you're also an Oscar-nominated screenwriter. Oh, shit. I, you know, I wasn't even going to mention that, violence. but thank you. Thank you so much for mentioning that. If, um, you, haven't, if you haven't seen History of Violence, it's all about um, – it's a 16-hour film about how violence came to be. That's right. The Birth of Violence. And uh, uh, also a podcaster. I do a movie show called The Movies That Made Me. Dave and I used to do a show called The West Wing Thing, which all I'll say is you should listen to it. And what we are doing here with The Lever – I refuse to call it The Lever – Lever. Uh, is we're going to be doing a series of, what do you want to call them? Mini series, little arcs, mini, um, segments. Uh, we are going to be dissecting things like master classes, documentaries, docu series, audio books, things like that from, uh, political figures who perhaps we might have some small bone to pick with. <laughs> um, and we people are, shouldn't be talking people who shouldn't be talking about the things that they're talking about. And every, we're going to do each of these. We're going to bring with us someone you might want to call a co-host. Uh, but we prefer to think of as our study buddy. And uh, we have a very special study buddy with us for this particular arc. Uh, we have got Kate Willett. Hello, Kate. Hello. Hi, Kate. Can we it's introduce you or nice should we, to... she's a, sorry. No, no you, yeah, you guys already talking me. over, already talking over women, uh, comedian, actress, writer, podcaster, uh, co-host the of the reply, reply guys, guys podcast, very fine podcast, uh, author of the audible original, uh, dirtbag anthology, uh, she's anthropology. Been on... what? It was an anthropo, it was an anthropological study. Yes. Ah, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Where I went and lived among dirt bags for multiple years. <laughs> so it's an autobiography. Oh, yeah. is yes. Okay. Uh, you can also check out her for two minutes special on Netflix's comedy lineup and and many other things. We just like her and think she's funny and thought it would be fun to uh, kick things off with her on this. So we are here and for the next several weeks we are going to be covering. This is a real thing. We did not make this up, folks. Uh, George W. Bush, uh, former president of the United States, I believe, um, has done a masterclass on uh, leadership. Mm. And we have taken the entire class and we have distilled it down to the good stuff. And we're going to bring you back everything that we've learned to find good stuff, <laughs> good stuff. The, the things that will help you get through life and, and be a better person and. Uh, apparently in this case be the ceo of a company or a group or something yeah mm -hmm. yeah he says he he makes sure to specify in the class my what i think my one of my favorite things is he's like some of you are not going to be the president <laughs> of the united states I, <laughs> yeah. I appreciate i i felt seen when he said yeah. that yeah um yeah and we're gonna we're gonna jump in that in a minute but i'm i'm chomping to talk about something dave and i did recently before we get into that can can we do that dave you seem to like not sure want to discuss this at all but and I don't even tell Kate we've done this. Kate, are you familiar with the new Robert Davi film produced by Breitbart called My Son Hunter? I have seen um, like uh, screenshots from it online. I definitely think I'm going to watch the movie. Well, yeah, I think so. Dave and I have seen the movie. Is it good? <laughs> It is not, not good. It's not even fun, bad. It's, it's so depressing. Oh, it's just, I want it's, it's just bad, bad, not fun, bad. I, yeah. I, I would describe it as a blog post. Uh, yeah. It's it what's depressing about it is they managed to cut a great trailer together. 
because you watch the trailer and you're like, that's going to be a hoot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought they looked, I, I watched the trailer and it did look like it was going to be very fun. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's unfortunate because there's a couple of actors who aren't terrible in it. And, uh, um, but it, it's just, it's, it, uh, we watched it with our friend Danny Bessner, who, who I think, did he say it or did you? Somebody said, Dave, um, it, it felt like they were just reading an article aloud. Yeah, that was me. That was okay. Sorry. That was Dave. Um, and what was really fascinating about it to me, at least was I realized by the time the movie was done, it hit me that probably 90% of the things they allege about Hunter Biden and his father, Joe, in this film are likely true. There's a few things that are pretty wacky, but, and I walk in going, yeah, of course. I mean, this is, he's a classic fail son. He's been coasting on his dad's name. He's been involved in all these shady deals. It's like, we know for a fact, uh, we knew at the time that the laptop is real, all the rest of this stuff that the media colluded to keep the laptop out of the news during the election. Um, but by the time you're done watching the film, you're like, oh, this is all crazy conspiracy shit which mm -hmm. I believe is not the intention of the filmmakers. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is what always happens with the right wing in yeah. that there are things to criticize Democrats about, and then they add in crazy conspiracy stuff, even if it's just a little bit. And then you go, well, none of this is all garbage now. Like they, they, they do themselves a disservice because they're idiots yeah, and they can't help themselves. And worse than anything, it is genuinely boring. It's genuinely, genuinely Oh, my boring. God. It, it is, is such so a tedious. And supposedly yeah, it costs like bad. two and a half or $2.75 million. No, absolutely not. Like we said this when we were watching. That money is not on the screen. You do not see it. It is They're just not really, there. really, really bad at allocating the resources. They shoot it in Serbia, where I believe you're allowed to kill a man on camera for 75 cents. So it's like not like they went somewhere expensive. But in it's Serbia, a, you said? Yeah, they shoot the film in Serbia. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Which, think of that. If you end up watching it, think of that when you're watching the scenes uh, set in the Chateau Marmont. Um, it's, uh, yeah, filmed in Serbia. Uh, and uh, yeah. I did I did engage Serbia. with some folks on. Oh, you have? I have, yeah. Would there you shoot a movie Belgrade. Man, you know, I don't really because I went to Serbia like when I was in college. So, you know, two years ago, maybe a little bit more. But um, it was very uh, is it was beautiful. I went to Belgrade, but I would say it would be it seems difficult to shoot a movie there unless you really speak uh, Serbian because it's not even the like it's it's not the alphabet that we use like you can't read anything and not a lot of people spoke English so it seems like it'd be kind of hard to get around yeah so maybe they spend all their money on translators Dave maybe. I think a lot I think a lot more people in um, Europe now speak English maybe yeah and they actually speak perfect English, so it's totally off-putting. You meet someone from like Sweden, and you're like, "Where are you from in the states?" And they're like, "No, I'm I'm from uh, yeah. Stockholm." And you're like, "What?" And they're like, yeah, "I just watched Netflix and learned it." They have no accents. It's wild. Yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing too: is the the lead actress who plays this woman that basically Hunter Biden just talks to through most of the film uh, is, I believe, Serbian, and I had to find that out by looking it up because she speaks perfect English. The yeah. actor who plays Hunter Biden, on the other hand, is British. Um, and uh, 
what is his name again? Um, um, somebody, Lawrence Fox. Uh, and his accent is so bad it breaks about every 30 seconds. He just yeah, does not bad. do a good American accent. But I'm kind of a Hunter fan. I mean, it's an ironic Hunter uh, yeah. fan in the way that people are, but, you know, like. I don't, he just, I don't have he, a problem with, he's a dude. Yeah. I, I'm a little, I'm a little weirded out. I don't like to judge people's kinks, but the the part that gets me is not the all the drugs and not all the sex workers. It's the fact that his laptop, apparently, my wrong was just like packed to the gills with photographs of himself alone masturbating. It, what's your What's on your laptop? I mean, isn't that what laptops are <laughs> <before>? for? <laughs> why? <laughs> Getting a. Yeah, that's why I bring it in to get repaired. So people will see that stuff. (laughs) I mean, ostensibly, he was uh, texting the pictures to other people, right? Right. Like, yeah. So it wasn't like I doubt he was taking the pictures for himself. But I mean, that would be a thing that people do in sexting. I would just think that like you need about five of those if that's what you're doing. It's like how many like how many times can I send you a picture of myself jacketed to you before I've seen that? I mean, it really begs the question, is it ethical to reuse these photos from person to person? And is the the person going to be smart enough to check the metadata on the photo? It's like, you know, Uh this is, hey, this is me right now. And it's like, no, that was you on December 12th at 339, my friends. And you already said that to to Marsha. Yeah, I have the metadata turned off on my photos because I don't want people to know what I'm up to in general. But yeah. Am I look, uh, I'm not insinuating anything here. My my phone is almost exclusively cats. Mine. Yeah. They're babies. The, the Broadway play or or no. your two cats? The t- two little guys that are my best friends. Yeah. Sure. I remember when they weren't your best friends when you didn't know them. I it's true. I uh I got them at the beginning of the pandemic and they they were so small and now they're big and bad and you know, but anyway, I think my phone is less exciting than Hunter Biden's as it should be. I think most people's are. Yeah. But yeah, just- I would say most people's are. But I think, you know, the the thing that goes along with addiction is is doing stuff <laughs> that you ordinarily wouldn't do and doing it on film sometimes. I, yes. Good. Good point, Dave. Um, yeah, it's just it's sadly not worth it. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of bad, bad cinema. And this, unfortunately, is just boring cinema. But I, I did want to play one clip because this is just this is a perfect example. They've got this actor playing Joe Biden. And keep in mind, these are this is Breitbart. This is this right wing outlet whose primary joy in life is, you know, skewering the left and the left Democrats, making up stories about them. And they've got Joe Biden, who is objectively, um, shall we say, a shaky speaker at best. And they cast this actor with this commanding voice who's basically completely lucid throughout, except every now and then there's a little glitch and we'll play one. And you're like, how did you guys miss this? How did you not just make him into this complete rambling idiot? I, I don't know. But this is the level. I'm going to play this one clip. We have done nothing to this audio clip. This is verbatim from the film. You're my son. You're an addict. So you lie. Compulsively. I get it. And I've been patient with you. But I'm going to ask you a question now, Hunt. And I need you to tell me the God's honest truth. No lies. I don't care how bad it is. But I need you to tell me the truth. All right? Because if you don't tell me the truth, I can't fix it. And everything will be lost. Everything. 
including my patience with you. Do you understand me, sir? Yes, sir. Your word is abide. My word is abide. I want to know everything that's on that laptop that can ruin my erection. <laughs> Every single detail. Kate's <laughs> face. face. I, I wish we were a video show. You should see Kate's face. That's that's. <laughs> I'm not making that up. That's from the film. That's we, in the film. It 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 was it was it wasn't supposed to say election. It was really supposed to say erection. Yeah, well, the yeah. erection part is actually in the trailer. It's the spring. It's the boyoying part that finally, yeah, because every now and then he makes a gaff. You see, it's the uh, it's the wacky sound effect. Oh man, that's that's really bad. I for some reason I even when I watched the trailer I thought it was election. I thought he was saying like. Anything nope. that could hurt my campaign, man. That's, I, what, that he's, that's what he's trying to say. Head. He's trying because every uh, now and then he gaffs, you see, and then, and then just to underscore. That was a gaff. They go boing, boing, boing. I got it, but that's so stupid and immature. That's really bad. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so bad. It's not. That's why I say it's not even fun. Bad. You're just like what? Yeah. When conservatives try to do humor, it's just like yeah. So I mean, they you know, are... there's some people that are funny, but usually not. Yeah. Look. Most, I believe it's left brain people, you know, creative people, most, most left brain people that goes along with being more left. Conservatives are not well, creative it, it people because they empathy. use their right brains. It's, it's empathic. But all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, they're, they're just not creative people. Like it's just the way the brain works. It's, but that's know, not true. Here's right the brain. thing. What, what's interesting to me is this is actually an interesting topic because there are plenty plenty of conservative films and filmmakers there are some it's much smaller but it's not but here's the thing i mean there's a what's the difference between for instance i mean pauline kale called uh dirty harry a fascist work of art which she may or may not be right it's a great fucking movie and you know and it certainly swings to the right clint eastwood has always swung to the right most of his films yes. are pretty great there are great filmmakers it's it's the part. It's not even so much that being conservative makes you non-creative. It's creating just blindly partisan, didactic, you know, entertainment, quote unquote, like this. It's just impossible to do in a way that's in any way, shape, or form interesting. We only think of this as a conservative movie because it's got this I, overt conservative agenda. But you know, Star Wars is pretty conservative. It's just I don't see, but I don't I don't see those as conservative in the same way. I I, I think that you right. Know, this is propaganda. Talking about this it, is pure propaganda. Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, uh, so so there's movies that are propaganda that the left makes, and when the right tries it, it's bad. And and I generally think that far more far more creative people are to the left. Yeah, I just like no, I, I, get I, I don't disagree, few, but I think I get that, there's a few conservatives that get in there and make films yeah. and and yeah. they're fine, but I just think it's a massive difference. Like you're just I mean, if we were really going to study this scientifically, if we were going to look at the political opinions of people who make art and entertainment, I think we would see that the type of brain that makes you a good and successful artist is also the same type of brain that makes you a shit lib i don't know what it is <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> it's like, yeah i just you like you like art but you love the cops kind of a lot but not as much as some uh <laughs> i don't think being a leftist just there we've had some good leftist artists throughout history but uh definitely still the 
I mean, I, I understand it's a, you know, class, class and opportunity thing, but still, I think there's, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying, I've been ragging my brain for like good conservative comedians this whole time. And I can't, there's no one that I would be willing to be like, that person is a good comedian. Bill, Bill Maher is kind of funny. Bill Maher was never a good comedian. I mean, that's the big thing about Bill Maher. Jesus. Um, so. There are a couple. There are a couple comedians who are conservative who never say it and are good comedians, but they also only talk about non-political stuff on stage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple out there that are funny. But Isn't it's really a, not that many? Yeah, there are some people that I like suspected were conservative, like. I suspected that maybe Jim Gaffigan was conservative, but then he he started talking about politics and it seems like he's not, but he's one of the funniest comedians. Yeah. Jim's no, Jim's always been libish. He he's um, he's, he's definitely over there. He just doesn't want to talk about politics. Right. He hasn't wanted to till now. Yeah. That makes sense. So uh, speaking of hilarious conservatives that we all love, should we do it? Do you guys want to, should we go to school? Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, it's David Sirota, host of Lever Time, the flagship podcast from the award-winning investigative news outlet, The Lever. In politics, there's a complex web of money, influence, and greed that corrupts our democracy. Lever Time is an unflinching examination of the latest news, events, and issues that often go unrecognized and unreported by corporate media. We interview a variety of guests and experts across media and politics, and we hold the powerful accountable. Some recent interviews include Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, comedian David Cross, progressive leader Nina Turner, and artificial intelligence expert Dr. Max Tegmark. So if you're looking for a true independent voice in political media, check out Levertime. Go to levertimepod.com or search Levertime on your podcast player to subscribe. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States... There is nothing like standing in front of a boisterous crowd coming down the stretch of a presidential run. I mean, the noise is loud, the passions are great, the halls are hot. You know, you come flying on that stage and people are cheering you. It's a rush. What in the hell? So, That's so the first of all, like right off the bat, I'm like, you're not a band. Yeah. You're not a comedian. What the fuck are you talking about? It is such a weird way to frame being the president. It's a rush. He's framing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's Kid Rock or some shit. Like it's just weird. He's like the flash pots. I don't think it's weird at all. showing their breath. I, I do not like, think it's, yeah. I think it's very sincere. I think that's. I think so too. Yeah. Him. I think that he's framing it this way. And I think this whole thing, this entire series is framed this way to make it more relatable than he was to whitewash who he is. Yeah. And, and to not, and to uh, uh, completely avoid the truth, which is, you know, he became president for power and because the family is supposed to create a president like it's a whole bred into him thing right yeah i want to know who that voice is though in the beginning like that's if i'm going to have somebody in my master class or i'm doing all this stuff or i'm presenting myself to you in my you know the form i most want you to perceive me in like listen to this guy's voice again ladies and gentlemen the president of the united states wouldn't you, especially if you're George W. Bush with all this Texas stuff, wouldn't you get somebody who pitches a little bit lower, maybe a little bit more 
Am I just nitpicking? Oh, it's all somebody. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, it, it's a president of the United States. Lee. It's all somebody he knows. It's all nepotism. It's all. I guess. Just seems bro, kind of depraved. Well, let's 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 get into it. He breaks it up into a bunch of different chapters, and we're going to cover a few every episode. Um, and this is basically just the introduction to to your teacher, but uh, there's some pretty telling stuff going on here. I recognize very few people watching this will become president. Thank you. Before I was president, I owned a small business. There is a very proud son and a very proud mother. I was part owner of the Texas Rangers. What Texans can dream. And I served as governor of Texas. Okay. Yeah. So what was the small business? Yeah. Should we talk about that? Did he own a, <laughs> do you own a, like a little shop where he, he redid upholstery on couches? One of those <laughs> furniture stores that's always going out of business. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's those? vaguely worded. The first time I thought that small business was supposed to be part owner of the Texas Rangers, but it's actually small business owner, comma. Then I was, co- you know, manager of the Texas Rangers. And it does kind of, he doesn't specify that. Everything else is very specific. He's governor of Texas. He's president. But um, yeah, do you guys want to hear about the uh, the small business? What was the small business? Yeah, yeah. what's a small business? So it, it helps to remember that uh, Bush's youth was spent mainly trying to find something he couldn't fuck up because he was not, yeah. he was not the, uh, you know, the primo stallion in the state. He was a partier. He had a little bit of Hunter going on. And yeah, exactly right. They he, probably partied together at some oh point. God. Well, I don't know if Bush is way older. Yeah. I think it's an age thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but basically, so his parents, you know, Poppy, um, who's already doing well with Zapata Oil, sent uh, W to Andover, where he became. I think one of the things people are going to find out over the course of the show is that Dave and I are, are old. Because I know, <laughs> I know I'm not supposed to laugh at this anymore, but I'm sorry. He became head cheerleader. <laughs> See, we're chuckling. Kate's not. I was uh, just imagining. You know, I was just imagining a horrible visual know, of George W. Bush being a head cheerleader. Graduated. I, I don't. Yeah. You can laugh at that, and it's not because he's a cheerleader. Like my right. my stepbrother was a cheerleader, mm-hmm. and if you met him, he'd be like, "Yeah, of course he's a cheerleader." Like it's what he like everything about. He's him is enthusiastic. George Bush is not cheerleader type guy. Yeah. No. That's why it's it's laughable. Like it, if there's a lot of guys who are cheerleaders. Like, yeah, you fucking like it. You jump around. You do the gymnastics. Like, it's your fucking thing. That's yeah. not what George Bush is at all. Well, one of the things too, because he also he graduated near the bottom of his class. Um, That's so funny. And uh, he got into Yale in any case because he was a legacy, and yeah. and coasted through with what they call the gentleman C until he left with a degree. Now, so he's a fail is, son. He is a classic fail son. But what's interesting to me is is the way. It's hard to talk about him and not fall into this thing, but it was the way I remember like Democrats always tried to portray him as an idiot. And he plays into that. Yes. He's fine with that. And, uh, but the problem is it's not entirely untrue either. Um, he goes into military service next, uh, Texas air national guard. Why that particular branch class? Anyone understand why you might go to the Texas air national guard during the Vietnam War. Because it keeps you out of the war. That's right. Um, oh, okay. And uh, he was given a lot of leeway. Uh, a he, lot of leeway. He had time off to work on a... Republican campaigns. <laughs> as you're as you're given. Uh, yeah. If you're if the Vietnam War is on. Uh, um, yeah, it was a it was total bullshit. And he would just not show up yeah. and it was just absolute nonsense. 
Uh, yeah, and we'll definitely get into that stuff in later classes because it's pretty amazing, um, especially when it comes to how he swift voted, swift voted John Kerry. Um, he asked for a discharge when he got into Harvard Business School, and he got it. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of his classmates recalls that despite getting 53 interviews with Fortune 500 companies, Bush was the only Harvard Business School graduate to leave without having a job lined up. Everyone said <laughs> no. Or he may not have tried. It's hard to it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, so at this point, this mm-hmm. is this is what George Bush is. He's a dude who likes to party. Yep. He likes to party so much. He was like, fuck it. I'll be a cheerleader mm-hmm. <laughs> and, try to, and try to hit on these girls. And and like, I'm not going to be an athlete because that's that's like I don't want to practice. You get hurt. And yes, yeah, I can stand around with the big microphone thing and yell into it and then and then try to get some sex off these pretty, pretty ladies. And I'm going to keep partying and I'm never going to stop partying. I'm the guy at the frat house who just fucks around. Well, the guys are like, I actually have to study. He's the guy who's like, hey, you want to get some beers tonight? Like, that's who this guy is. Yes. 100%. And then he doesn't take any of the interviews seriously because he knows he's going to be fine. Right. This is the thing. I have much more respect for normal people who do what he did, who take his life path, than the ones who have this cushy thing. I mean, he's, he's, you know, the son of George Bush Sr. Um. So in the early 70s, he started on two careers. First, uh, Poppy set him up as a freelance oil. It's called Landman, which uh, means he researched land titles and mineral rights. And then he surprised everyone when he decided to run for the Texas House. Um, Worth noting, however, that his father at that point was running the RNC. So he was probably Mm -hmm. guaranteed a place in the party. But no one expected him to take this kind of initiative. So this is starting to surprise people a little bit. He's getting his shit together. Yeah. His, well, it also turned out. Is it though? It turned out he or had a lot of like... strong campaign qualities. And he's going to talk about those over the course yeah. of this class. And you're going to be going, oh, yeah, that actually sounds like him. Because he's going to try to teach us some of these over the course of the master class. And a lot of the skills that he had that he at least believed made him a good campaigner are ones that you can see the real guy actually has. Um, he won the nomination but lost the election. Uh, and then he, um, went into, uh, used his landman work to launch a small business where he invested in land leases. The company was called Arbusto Energy. And he described the company as a solid, small producing company or honest operators who worked hard and gave people a fair shake. Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, Arbusto Energy was financed mainly through a network of his father's campaign contributors. Um, it made half a million in 1979, 1.25 in 1980, 1.8 right. million in 1981. So all of these guys that his dad knows, because his dad is a you know a giant figure in in politics. He's yep. uh, one of the most evil, one of the top ten most evil Americans. Um, he uh, his buddies are that guy. You didn't win that election. You know why? Because you, you people look at you and they go, you know, party boy didn't do anything. Right. So get a business. We'll invest in it. You'll you'll take over the business. Then after a few years, it'll be like, hey, I've done some stuff, and then you can run for office. I'm a businessman. So th- that's what just happened. Yeah. Um, and he invested very little of his own money. Obviously, of course. Uh, this is like uh, this reminds me of like this is like a. Uh, He's like an alternate universe Hunter Biden. Very much so. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm glad we watched that movie before this, actually. 
1982, he tries to take the company public, renames it Bush Exploration, and he put his father on the board. Um, Bush Exploration does sound very <laughs> dirty. It's yeah. not a good name for a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it sounds like something that we would not be able to say if it was uh, public radio, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's so That true. was a low-hanging fruit. I'm sorry. It, no, 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 it was right it there. Had to be done. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, the public offering didn't raise as much money as he'd gotten through donors. And he eventually um, sold it to Harkin Oil and Gas in 86. Uh, then got a seat on the board. One of its investors, George Soros, said up front, straight up, quote, we were buying political influence. That was it. To get in business with Bush. And presumably he meant with Poppy, not with W. So that's that's his but, small business, Dave. This is that's not- all that's all the same, like buying political like you know, yeah. with his father, of yeah. course. But you know, you take care of the kid and then dad's exactly. happy and he exactly it's just all this is what the country is. Like this is why this is why we are now in a place where we have the worst politicians and you know how Trump how Trump succeed. Well, this is all part of it. Like you yeah. just get to be a, a fucking loser and everyone gives you money and then you're fine. Like it's just it's crazy. The world they live in is just not our world. It's astonishing. It really is astonishing. Um, then the Rangers. Want to hear about the Rangers? The, yes. uh By the way, Josh is not a sports fan. Me neither. Oh, is this a team of some sort? So what I would like to point out, and the yeah. reason that maybe being a sports fan is a good thing, is because nope. as a Giants fan, I got to watch for six games as the San Francisco Giants beat George Bush, who sat in the front row, George Bush's Rangers, and I got to watch him be sad and die a little bit as my team did that to him. And then the next year, the St. Louis Cardinals did the same thing. And again, you got to watch George Bush in the front row, sad and upset because his team was losing. And it that was is great, compelling. It yeah, It happens over a long, it happens over six, seven games, and you can slowly watch him die inside. You know what I was doing while you were doing that? I mean, nobody stuff, cares. Stuff that's not boring. Yeah, me too. I was doing drugs. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You can do drugs. And I bet I saw some you good, can do I drugs and play good baseball. I actually was briefly a Giants fan when they had that guy, uh, the guy Tim that was Lynch doing Lynch. the stuff with the machine. That was pretty funny. I liked that. Oh, they, they, I, they did what? I forgot what, what the dude's name been? was, but what what they was like the San Francisco Giants. They it was they were in the World Series and one of the players was being interviewed and he had this he was being interviewed from his house and he had this guy in like full BDSM regalia uh, on the it was like a morning show, I think. And the host was like, excuse me, who's that? (laughs) And the guy was like, oh, that's the machine. And just completely committed to the bed. He just, <laughs> it's Brian Wilson. He was yeah. the, the one of the pitchers. He just had a, like the Giants were hilarious. Like he just he just had a guy walk around in that outfit. But yeah, I, lo- I, I love I like this posing a little of San Francisco on the rest of the nation. That was funny. Yes, absolutely. So yes, yeah, so uh, the current owner of the team was an old friend of Poppy's, uh, and Pete Uberoth, who was the baseball commissioner, had insisted that the new owner has to be from Texas which, of course, W was. Um, Carl Rove, his good friend Carl Rove, said that owning the team made Bush more famous and familiar to Texans, which was a big asset. What? Mm-hmm. If he was going to run for office. 
Yeah, they they as soon as he decided to become a politician, they groomed him. I mean, this is just <laughs> it's just so crazy to be from a family like this that once you decide to do something, everybody just steps in and helps and now you're like part owner of the Texas Rangers all because you're like, eh, I could be like I could be governor or something." Like yeah. it's just versus the like the freaking uphill battle that it is for most people. Well, also yeah. just imagine before Jeb, wasn't Jeb supposed to be, you know, Jeb was always Yes, yeah, so that that's the interesting thing is the family had Jeb targeted to be governor and then president. Like that was his, th- and then when when W jumped in, it was it caused a lot of problems in the family because that wasn't his turn. Right. Oh, damn. Yeah. It's like a horrible fairy tale. <laughs> there is some drama there i i hope somebody will explore someday but um yeah uh so basically yeah the team the owner was asking 80 million so bush started working family connections um to get the money uh got a bunch of his friends to help finance the thing um he even you brought the commissioner is this this seems weird you shouldn't be able to do this the baseball commissioner helped wish out by lobbying a billionaire friend uh richard rainwater who put up 40 billion or 40 million of the money put up half. That, yeah it. i mean that's how uh, that's how it all works you yeah know, and you it just seems so blatant uh bush only put up six hundred thousand of his own money but he was named managing partner <laughs> So that's small business number two, buying an established business with massive investments for his father's partners and cronies, all to set him up as a credible candidate for the governorship. So this is the small business he was talking about. These are the small businesses, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, yeah, we have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So he sums it all up in, in the introduction here. Very important stuff. It's important to have a set of principles that guide you and your team, your company, your managers have got to understand those principles. Correct. Correct. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Where it's a, it's a small club and you ain't in it. That's the principle. Yeah. I think that, I mean, we watched the other masterclass too, and it seems like just the general aesthetic of masterclass is to say stuff that really could apply to any situation almost yeah. like it's a horoscope but for like business douches <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do want to say yeah. having now looked at several there are some great master classes and there are people who are teaching you things that you actually don't know that okay they, well yeah. i was thinking yeah, about no, yeah, watching, watching the some writer on the west wing thing we did the hillary yeah. clinton one on uh, uh resilience i believe was the skill she was teaching and yeah, it's very yeah. similar to this <laughs> in that it's just someone whitewashing their career and and you know talking basic gibberish but lesson two uh the art of personal diplomacy i i gotta say he kicks it off credit where it's due this is not gibberish what he's about to say but also it's not the kind of high quality insight i'm looking for from a world leader if i'm going to be taking his master class but still to me personal diplomacy means that you're willing to find out how the other person thinks you're willing to listen to another person's problems or solutions Personal diplomacy means you spend enough time uh, with somebody to get a better feel for how he or she thinks. You can't manufacture a desire to learn how somebody else thinks. It's got to be innate. In other words, you got to like people. And I've always liked people. I've been interested in people. I've been interested in their backgrounds. I'm interested in their thoughts. And it doesn't take much effort to ask somebody what they think. I understand there are people who 
maybe don't have the same confidence I've got or confidence that uh, your boss has, but you can overcome that by trying. I love how he laughs when he says that. Yeah. You know, where, where's that confidence come from, George? <laughs> he's right, though. Yep. He, I think that's the difference between the Democrats who ran against him and him. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he generally likes people. I'll never forget that that video that came out of him at a wedding. And he's just he looks like he's a little tipsy, even though he's supposed to be sober. But he's going around giving people shit and having a good time. And he's just one of the fucking dudes. He loves to party. And he loves to party. And he's a party guy. And he likes to hang out and just shoot the shit and get and have some fucking beers like that's who he is. And, you know, when we watch we watch the Hillary one, she has she it is a such an the difference between them is so stark and amazing. And I think that he doesn't think he's better than other people. And I think she thinks she's better than a lot of people. And I think that comes across and he just like, I fucking hate this guy. He's an evil human being who should be in the Hague. He is a war criminal and a monster on levels that we rarely have seen, but he's fucking likable. That's the problem with Trump. Trump is a fucking monster who sometimes makes you laugh. Yeah. It's a problem. Like, those are the worst ones. And so, you know, he has whatever that fucking quality is, it comes through. Yeah. No, the entire series. And and people need to stop complaining about how unfair it is. It's like, it doesn't matter that it's fair. It's what is. You've got to stop running these like cold, lifeless technocrats against these people who have some sort of appeal to folks. Because I'm just imagining someone on like a guy who is just on the verge of divorce trying desperately to work out his marriage with the art of personal dis- diplomacy from George <laughs> W. <Bush>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, I, I'm interested in you now. I want to hear what you have to say. I like being around you. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more like Hank the propane salesman down in Texas. That's mm. yeah. it's like learning and being like, no, I, I okay. I, I should care about the people I'm selling propane to. Yeah. And tries to fake it. I mean, this guy just has an innate ability, and that innate ability is to wherever he is, not really give a shit and be a fucking party boyish type personality. Yeah. Like that's what well you it can't is. I was about to yeah. say, but then we've just been talking about Hunter Biden. I was about to say you can't really party alone, but obviously there are exceptions. Um the uh, yeah, no, it's true. But I mean they're like a, a Yale classmate of his apparently recalled that um Bush detested the intellectual snobbery of Yale and worked very hard at being people smart, not book smart. That makes sense. I mean, I'm imagining like, well, first of all, I don't think that he is as dumb as he has the reputation. He's not. I think he's kind of intellectually lazy, but he's not a a stupid guy. Yeah. But, you know, in terms of like relating to other people, he does seem to have this like value on being like at least superficially down to earth. Yeah. 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 And, and it does seem to come from him naturally. Obviously he's, he's cultivating it too, to get where he is. It certainly helps. Um, He's, he's a great example of how Republicans are so much better at politics. Yeah than democrats like the democrats think well just uh, do a bunch of really wonky ideas and he's like what if i put on my cowboy hat and everyone sees me on the farm all the time 
and I'm also owner of the Rangers. And yeah. then, you know, and I just all shucks my way through. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's how you do it. Oh, I see. Even I go, how you doing, are, buddy? Yeah. Even the people, like, even the Democrats that are, like, like, I would say someone like AOC. Like, I think she probably also genuinely likes people and is really good socially. Mm-hmm. But there, there's still, like, a little bit of, uh, I don't know, like, there's just a... a a little bit of elitism that it feels like easy to project onto onto her. I don't know if that's real or not, but like with George W. Bush, yeah, with George W. Bush, I think you it's easy to get the impression that he would be nice to you personally, right. even if you were like a Democrat. Like there's not and like this and contempt. He's pure aristocracy. Side. I mean, exactly. he might as well be Prince fucking Charles. You know, yeah. it, it, that's the crazy thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. And you're watching this thing and I'm constantly going, um, you know, oh, right. This is George W. Bush. This is sorry. Worst president of my lifetime, major war criminal. Yeah, he's horrible. I spent, if I had a dollar <laughs> yeah. for every hour I spent on the streets protesting during his administration, I, I, I don't a second house. And you're like, Oh, I gotta like this fella. He's, he's guy. He's gonna listen to, it. Oh, he's bringing out his wife now. Isn't that sweet? God. Yeah. I mean that, you know, that's why he, I mean, imagine running like everything you know about him, and you run John Kerry against this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so blue stupid. Blue blood, like it's just you. You watch as much as I hate him, I watch him, and I'm like, God, he's fucking. He's got that thing, whatever it is. And look, these things are to whitewash. They are clearly being written. So after you, be, after your president, or after like Hillary, you lose, and you, now you have to worry about your legacy. So Hillary is trying to rewrite her legacy and he's trying to rewrite his and Bill's trying to rewrite his. And he so far Bush does the best job, but this is clearly written and very well written by a Republican operative who is now working on legacy. It yeah. is really well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you do wonder who wrote it. Did he write it? Who wrote it with him? Obama's no done a really it. bad job. With his yes. legacy, I think it's one of the worst. He's made, he's made yeah. a his uh he left office on a high note, and I think now people are like, wait, literally the first well, he's like the first time we saw him after the shock of Trump becoming president. Yeah. Everyone's like, the country's fucking burning. We're like, who can help us? Where do we? My God, where where are where are our saviors? And literally the first thing we saw of Obama post presidency is he's skydiving with Branson or Paris. Like, this is not a good look. He is is literally in every sense of the word, the anti Jimmy Carter. Yeah. 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 Um, Which is weird. Somebody loves Jimmy Carter, but they don't sort of apply that to other presidents. They're not, they don't hold them to that standard, which is, yeah, they should. Um, so then, uh, but yeah, we're talking about contemporary politics. So um, uh, W does as well. He gets into, he segues into a big problem that we face today that he laments. Oftentimes today, it's hard to establish a personal relationship because of the, uh, the rancor in the political process. I will never like you because you voted for so-and-so. Or if you believe this, you and I can't be friends. And uh, one of the challenges facing anybody in an organization or our country is to is to learn how to overcome those debates and to focus on the greater good. Now, debates are important, but they're certainly not as important as a nation that's able to work together or uh, workers that are able to collaborate 
or people willing to share sympathy. So I'm going to say two things. Yeah. A, he's right. B, this is a guy whose career was crafted by his close personal friends, Lee Atwater and Carl fucking Rove. Yeah. I mean, if you had to boil down to like who created the modern environment of rancor in politics, it's the people who created George W. Bush. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, this thing, this is what it may, is amazes me about American politics and, and our culture is like he can just say that and know that an extraordinary number of people watching this are going to go, yep, sure. Just yeah. Completely forget. Yeah. I mean, if you just take the words on their own, while I was listening to that, I was imagining Bernie Sanders saying it. And I could imagine Bernie Sanders saying it. The exact same words yeah. could conceivably come out of Bernie's mouth. But it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's like this kind of false idea of solidarity of yeah. like, you know, actually like the, the way to have solidarity is like, don't be upset with these really evil things that we're doing, like the Iraq war, instead of actually like, no, you know, we are all workers and like, we're going to put aside our differences to, you know, the fight for someone we don't know or whatever, you know, and it's just right. like this, this kind of fake populism that is obviously turned into something else with Trump, but. Well, I mean, look, Bush, like, it's so funny. He did, and you bring up Lee Atwater, like Lee Atwater was a monster and, you know, thank God he died at 40 because Jesus Christ, the damage he could oh, have damn, done he's if only he 40? was still alive. Yeah, he had a brain tumor at 40, which is God's way of saying, okay, let's wrap it We're up. We're done. Baby. He got the light from God. You know, he started out, um, he was uh, on campaigns in like the South somewhere, um, like North Carolina, South Carolina or something. And he was he was that guy who did push polling, you know, was sent out like, like, it, oh, did you what do you think about the opponent being in the NAACP? And he he stood he stood up. He had he planted a plant at a press conference to have a guy uh, stand up a fake reporter and ask if the opponent um, had psychiatric treatment. And later, Lee Atwater leaked that uh, he had been hooked up to jumper cables because the guy had gotten <laughs> uh, electro uh convulsive therapy when he was a teenager like so uh, so this is the guy that he's talking about and then that guy went on um to come up with a southern strategy which is basically how do you say the n-word without saying the n-word and then he became part of his dad's campaign and that's how george and lee atwater became friends they were had offices next to each other working on hw's campaign and they became buddies. And he said and did like this guy was a fucking monster of the highest level. The shit he said, like. Oh, oh, there was a great quote from Ed Rollins that to describe Lee Atwater, he called him ruthless Oliver North in civilian clothes and someone who just had to drive in one more stake. This is the guy. So this is this is George Bush now saying, but why don't we can why can't we just all get along? Yeah, this is along, the yeah. guy, Lee Atwater, came up with the Willie Horton shit against Dukakis. And look, Dukakis ran a terrible campaign, but that thing is still to this day the most racist ad I've ever seen in my life. The most horrible, grotesque, blatant, 
like campaign racism of a presidential campaign that I've ever seen. And that's all Lee Atwater. And that's his buddy. That's his pal. So he also surrounded himself with, you know, Dick Cheney, Carl Rove, like his, his, uh, his group of people. I mean, even Colin Powell, I know libs love him, but guess who, guess who covered up the me lie massacre? Colin Powell. Like he, these are fucking terrible people. And these are the people he's talking about. These are the people who create division because they are fucking monsters. And he's like, yeah, why can't we just all get along? Because of all the shit you do. <laughs> because of you, fucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, he gets that. I mean, you talk about the whitewashing. The The next section of this piece uh, is genuinely fascinating to me because he's trying. Well, let's, let's just play this. I'll tell you what I think he's trying to do. But we're going to get to, um, I think, the world's, the world's great villain du jour, uh, Vladimir Putin. And Bush uh, talks now about how there are some relationships that are never going to be good. And he tells this hilarious story about how Putin repeatedly dissed uh, W's dog, Barney. And I didn't say anything. I mean, a retort could have been, yeah, but Barney's smarter. Barney's cuter. Barney punches above his weight very well. But instead, I took it in. I couldn't wait to share that with Condi and the other uh, Russian experts because it spoke volumes about Vladimir Putin. To me, it said he had a chip on his shoulder. And then the next question is, why? And the reason why is because he believes the demise of the Soviet was really bad for the world and the Russian people. And we're seeing that play out with tragic consequences. Therefore, what you're watching is Vladimir trying to reinstate Soviet glory and hegemony. So if you really pay attention to what people say, you can gain a stronger understanding of their position. So, yeah, he's he's an early adapter. He's an early adapter to not liking and not trusting Vladimir Putin, right? Yeah. Right. Who's the audience? Who's this? Who's this for? Well, here's the thing. I think the audience is the world. He's trying to get this to the right. Because here's the thing. Here's a joint press conference they uh, Bush did with Vladimir Putin at the time he's talking about. Okay. This is the same guy we just heard talking. I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. Uh, we had a very good dialogue. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. He's a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. Uh, and I appreciated so very much the frank dialogue. There was no kind of diplomatic chit-chat trying to throw each other off balance. There was uh, a straightforward dialogue. And that's the beginning of a very constructive relationship. Um, I wouldn't have invited him to my ranch if I didn't trust him. <laughs> These will be fruitful discussions. And uh, I believe what people will see is a, uh, a strategy, a joint strategy. The president's a history major and so am I. And uh, we remember the old history. It's time to write new history. So just a small thing, W was never a history major, just. Well, I think, yeah, that's the funny part. Although he, he did read, I will that? give him this. He did read a lot of history. He was a big history reader. I hear he listens whatever. to the dollar. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, look, liberals, he's talking to you. Yep. He's trying to work you for his legacy. And because you have 
made such stark black and white, you know, decisions in life of everybody's not as bad as Trump or whatever, or Putin is pure evil and, you know, anybody who stands up to him. So now he can just rewrite history and, and say he's he because he's using. Putin. Of, yeah, no, exactly. There's, he's also oh. and the reason this is so clearly done by an operative, uh, a Republican operative. It's the check. He's using the checker speech. He's using the right. dog. Right which is Nixon's checker speech to get himself back in with the people. It, it is so transparently stupid and everybody loves dogs. So you're going to fall for it. Oh, Barney's a smarter dog. Yeah. Fucking liberals. This is for you. He's working you so fucking hard to get, try to get back in your graces. This motherfucker is evil to the bone. Yeah. I mean, the point here is I was onto this guy before you were. And the fact is, I mean, he even later said the chemistry is great between us. He gets it. The chemistry to, to their yeah <laughs> to their credit I mean these are genuinely awful people one of them worse even than Bush but Condi Rice and Dick Cheney all thought at the time that Putin was dangerous and untrustworthy and that Bush was out of his mind for perceiving him to be anything but like they had huge mm. arguments about this so he was not only not ahead of the curve on this he was disastrously not and his own people were arguing with him um, yeah you know it, it, it's. And yeah, you're correct, because what we have got, and I think this is really important, I think we're going to hit on it over the course of this series, is the most disastrous thing that has happened to kind of liberal thought in the last couple of years is, is Trump, because he has, he has broken so many brains that everything now comes down to, well, would you rather have Trump? Yeah. And, and the thing is, Trump was so not respectful of the norms that liberals love so much that so much of their hatred of him by the way let's should we be clear because we've got a lot of new listeners to this show we share trump is a monster it would be lovely if he died in jail folks he's not going to but he's also not the worst president we've ever had he is the most perhaps overtly disgusting president we've ever had yeah he's almost certainly the worst smelling president we've ever had But I think what we're going to we're going to show you over the course of this series is that uh, George W. Bush is uh, most certainly uh, the worst president of at least my lifetime and probably most. I think so. But just to kind of so I'm I I definitely 100 percent agree with you that the everything that's everyone that's not Trump is, you know, uh, is is good just because they're not Trump. It, right. it has been sort of a brain breaking thing, but I mean, I was very young during George W. Bush's uh, presidency, but I do remember a lot of liberals liking him at that time. And I know that his approval rating, you know, went way, way down, especially during the financial crisis and a Iraq war dragged on. But I mean, like after nine 11 and you know, yes. at, at it, during Afghanistan, I mean, it's like liberals never liked Trump. They always hated him. But definitely George W. Bush was like someone that liberals were willing to get behind at some point, at least a large number. It was very taboo. Yeah. Like 9-11. Yeah. All on board. Yeah. All on board. But they be they, you know, like they hated him at first. I mean, he stole an election. Yeah. And, you know, they hated him. Um, he did terrible things. Ta- the tax cuts, you know, just totally. We're still dealing with that, you know, shit. Uh, uh, Enron, like the stuff he did, 
is is incredibly horrific. I agree. And that doesn't even that doesn't even get to, you know, that's just domestically. It doesn't even get to before you get to the Iraq war, which is just, you know, uh, an invasion because because Saddam Hussein wanted to kill his dad. It's I, I think. Yeah, the, you know, liberals are very susceptible to foreign policy um, stuff. They're happy to jump on board and get behind everybody and get rah rah. They didn't like him at the end. Like a lot of us were very opposed to the war, and a lot of those were liberals. Um, it's it's very weird. Every single time we we go into a war, everyone just decides to support the president, which yes. is just fucking madness. Uh, yeah, but they don't. From my perspective. And look, I'm I'm obviously left. I hated him uh, the same level I hate Trump. Like I fucking hated him with a passion, and and I don't know how you can let that go. And a lot of liberals fucking hated him on that level too. And now I think a lot of those same real liberals are like, hey, wasn't that bad? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a combination of Trump and then all that stuff with, with, um, uh, you know, Michelle Obama, like holding yeah. hands with him and giving him. Yeah. And also because, or... yeah, because I think George W. Bush said kind of some, some soft criticism was, of yeah, Trump. And anybody, Trump. All you have to anybody do. can become a resistance hero by sure. yeah. criticizing Trump. Trump. Look at my God, the, the Lincoln Project. I mean, probably. Yeah. Is that the greatest grift in mainstream politics? It's one of them. And that's just a bunch of absolutely monstrous right-wing scumbags, racist pieces of shit, or yeah. just in one case, actual pederasts, I believe, correct? Gross, who, yes. Who, yeah, who just traded, made fortunes off of not liking Trump and making incredibly ineffective ads that only play to liberals about how bad Trump is. And and what he's doing and here with this Putin stuff is he's playing into that. You all hate yeah. Trump. You all have this this notion that Trump is somehow Putin's puppet, and therefore Putin is even like the only person on the planet who might be worse than Trump. And hey, liberals, I was there before you, and he was not. He wasn't. Right. He wasn't. Um, in fact, there's a piece in Foreign Affairs magazine by Peter Baker called "The Seduction of George W. Bush," that's all about how Putin just played Bush Worked him. and yeah. even when Putin was being resistant or confrontational or obviously awful Bush would blame Putin's advisors for misleading him he just could not accept in his mind that this guy who he liked whose soul he had stared into uh was the piece of shit that he is um and that leads into this shit with Angela Merkel Angela I'm terrible with it I think it's Angela sure. yeah I remember I was trying to get NATO to accept Georgia and the Ukraine, not as a member, but in the membership process. And Angela Merkel was dead set against it. And we had a friendly conversation, but she wouldn't yield. And we never were able to overcome her objections. The good news is we remain friends. So basically, okay. he's claiming that if it weren't for Merkel opposing him, we wouldn't have this yeah. Ukrainian crisis today. He's still tapping yeah. an issue that people care about today and trying to make himself out as the guy who was ahead of the curve. But can we what's your what's your first thought that comes to mind when you think of George Bush and, and Merkel? Oh, the, the the shoulder rub? The shoulder rub. The shoulder rub. The creepy, creepy shoulder rub. <laughs> like you say you're friends, but you did one of the creepiest presidential moves on a woman I've ever seen. I forgot that one. 
he yeah he walks up and starts massaging her shoulders from behind when she's sitting down and her that's reaction so gross like, yeah. like it's just she was so very creeped out. yeah she was super creeped out yeah but that's you know that's how you that's the interpersonal relationships where you read other people and get to know yeah <laughs> god um well, let's get into the uh the third and final for today class uh this one's called look over the horizon uh, and he gets into working with people how do you work with people how do you set the tone how do you take responsibility one of the unusual things about my administration was a lot of uh, people from texas came up we'd gotten to know each other we were a team we were comfortable with each other i was comfortable with them but i asked my friend andy Carr to become the chief of staff i didn't pick a texan to be chief of staff I picked somebody who knew something about Washington. After all, he had been deputy chief of staff and he had been cabinet secretary. Plus, I knew that his ego was such that uh, he wouldn't mind if people came in to see me without his presence. I told Andy, I said, Andy, one of the key things to keeping a team uh, healthy and a culture vibrant is that people have got to be able to come and see the president, particularly the people I've known for so long. Uh, that we cannot deny them access. And he said, I'm more than happy to do that, but never make a decision without telling me. And so I think people would tell you that uh, there was a chance, uh, they had a chance to come in if they had something to say. So uh, there's a Bush bio running named Gene Edward Smith. Let's talk about the Texas team that Bush brought with them. It's kind of interesting. Bush valued personal loyalty and staff discipline above all else. Team Texas was congenial to a fault. They flattered Bush's whims, did his bidding without question, and worked hard to achieve his goals. But they failed utterly when it came to presenting him with a full range of policy alternatives. They were new to Washington, saw the federal government's career civil service as political opponents, and distrusted professional expertise. The circle around mm -hmm. Bush is the tightest around any president in the modern era, said Christopher DeMuth, former president of the American Enterprise Institute. It's a too tightly managerial decision-making process. When they make decisions, a very small number of people are in the room, and it constricts the range of alternatives being offered. And then also you had Cheney as vice president, who is also the unofficial chief of staff, who is overseeing everything. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, like previous presidents had uh, gave their cabinets appointees uh, free reign in selecting their employees. Now Cheney and Karl Rove vetoed every candidate for what they called political and ideological symmetry. So, I mean, again, he's just saying shit that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is definitely really the kind of the opposite of the story about him that often gets repeated, which is that he was a puppet of his staff mm -hmm. and Cheney. And just definitely what you just read presents him as someone that was very much steering the ship and in charge. Yeah. Cheney um, was in charge. You what? Cheney was you think Cheney was in charge? Was yeah. In charge? Yeah, yeah, he was running the whole show. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, we're going to do, because there's some episodes coming up later where we get much more, he talks much more in depth about Katrina. But he does refer to a very famous Katrina story in this episode. And it's it's worth looking into because it's, again, how he's, how he's handling himself in this, how he's whitewashing himself. Um, if you recall Michael Brown, uh, what, what had he done before? I should, I should look this up. He was some, some lousy crony that uh, uh, Bush had appointed to FEMA. And I remember at the time people were like, what the, this guy's done nothing that would, uh, indicate that he should be doing this. 
Yeah, I looked him up earlier too. He, yeah, he definitely he he'd been a politician. I believe he'd been a congressman. Um, there wasn't, you know, it's just one of those jobs. You're like, hey, we need a job for uh for Brown, and they go, yeah, put him in that thing. He ran for Congress. Um, I guess he lost. Um, he taught at Oklahoma University. Uh, he was uh, I the International Arabian Horse Association. <laughs> That's right. Um, yes, that was his big commissioner. Right. And while he was there, tons of lawsuits were filed against um, against the <laughs> against him uh, for uh, violating the code of ethics. Um, right. So he comes back. Yeah, I don't know how he gets the job. Like, so yeah, when you're thinking who should run to... the federal emergency management agency, you're you're thinking this guy with his horses. Right. It's such a crazy. It's such a. Uh, it's such a dangerous place to put someone, you know, based on nepotism and ideology. It, and, it was, you know, I remember it was, it was startling because the stuff has always been there, but this was, it felt like Bush was sort of crossing the line. Normally you give a clown like this, you know, some sort of ambassadorship to a country we don't do anything with. And Bush was actually yeah. dropping, not like plenty of people put political friends in positions they're semi-qualified for. He was just dropping these morons into any spot that was empty with no regard for their qualifications. And that, that seemed yeah. new. And that's certainly something that Trump uh, picked up and continued. Um, uh, no, no offense to Jared, who, by the way, uh, if I'm, I'm praying for Jared to do a masterclass, I think that would be. I don't think they will. I, I don't no. actually think that the, the Trump people will. I don't know. I, I we'll have to see what happens. We'll but see. I, we'll I wonder see. if they will be rehabilitated in the way that the the most guys were. Cheney never Man, was. You if know? somebody worse comes along, they will. It's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what Cheney has been half. Cheney has been half rehabilitated through his daughter. His yeah. daughter is uh, Dick Cheney in in uh, female form. Yeah. Uh, she's as vile and evil and has all the same opinions. Um, you know, pro torture, all that other shit. So he has been sort of a little bit. Yeah, we'll see when he dies. We'll yeah, see when he that dies. is true. We will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Michael Brown did this amazingly bad job during Katrina, and we'll get into more on that. But uh, here, here is Bush talking about that famous, famous moment, and and note note what he does here. I think people will tell you that I shared credit, and when things failed, I took blame. You know, I think of Katrina. I took a trip down to the Katrina area as quickly as I could, and I landed in Mississippi, and the Alabama governor was there along with the Mississippi governor. And he said, Brownie here has done a good job. He was ahead of FEMA. And I turned to Brownie and said, heck of a job, Brownie. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. The FEMA director is working 24 hours. By the time we got to New Orleans, uh, my attempts to raise the spirits of somebody who's working hard uh, became a political liability. People use that as a phrase to show I was out of touch, when in fact, I thought I was exhibiting a good leadership trait, which is to share credit and thank people for a job well done. And so my attempt to share credit backfired a little bit on me, but it's uh, that, that's my nature to, to, to have done that. I think it's a nature that managers must have. I don't know. So, Frank, note how he subtly Let's, blames the Alabama governor. Right. Right. <laughs> He's like, yeah, this guy made me say that. He said, well, he told I, me. He, he told me he'd done a good job, so I trusted I, him. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so then let's do the timeline. Yeah. Let's do the timeline of Hurricane Katrina. So on the 25th of August, it becomes a hurricane, hits Florida, does uh, like $2 billion worth of damage, kills 14 people, a million people without electricity. Then it goes back out over the water, um, becomes bigger, becomes stronger, goes up to a, a Category 3 hurricane. Bush declares a state of emergency on the 27th. Then it becomes a Category 5. So it's the strongest hurricane possible on August 28th. Um, everybody's freaking out. They order the city of New Orleans evacuated. Um, they set up the Superdome as a, a place for people who can't get out. So it's like 26,000 people there. A um, million people leave leave um, New Orleans. And um, then it hits. And when it hits, it's a Category 3. Uh, and it, you know, we, we all know what Hurricane Katrina is, 20 foot waves, um, levees knocked down. The city is just completely fucked. Like 80% of the buildings are destroyed or maybe 90%. Um, no clean water, no electricity, no communications. No one can call each other. People are on roofs trying to be saved. Um, and they're not being, cause there's just the, the communication is horrendous. Um, the next day. Uh, they order the evacuation of the Superdome. So now it's turning into this chaos situation on the 30th. Um, meanwhile, did I mention George Bush has gone to Texas for his birthday? Yeah. And he flew over and looked at the... Anyway, um, there's looting now. There's violence. Um, there are people who desperately need water. Um, we're seeing now, we're seeing a people around the Superdome. Um, we're seeing them out. It's It's like, you cannot believe this is happening. In America, people can't get water and food. Um, there's dead people just sitting in chairs because they just covered them up because they died. We're seeing bodies floating in the water now as all these people have died. Um, it's it's fucking, if you're watching it and you're an American, you have a pit in your stomach like you maybe have never had in your life watching this happen. Um, they set up a curfew. People are shooting at helicopter rescue helicopters. Uh, George Bush on the 31st. So now we're we're um, five days in, five days into it hitting. George Bush um, flies back from Texas. Did I mention he was serenaded on the tarmac in Texas by someone with a guitar? We have pictures of him looking down from the plane as he flies over back to D.C. Um, gas prices spike across the country because of this. Dick Cheney comes back from vacation on the first and then president Bush decides how many days in are we six? Uh, okay. The 29th. So we're one, two, three, four, five days in now Bush comes to, and five days in think about what has happened at hurricane Katrina. We have the people around the Superdome who is, I mean, it's just unbelievable to watch. These people have I had no help whatsoever. Uh, there's, there's just dead people in chairs. There's people, you know, in incredible amounts of pain. They can't get water. They can't get food. There's all these bodies floating everywhere. The city is just completely destroyed. And then he rolls in and says, heck of a job, Brownie. Mm -mm. So whatever he's trying to rewrite here, he's the fucking devil and he's evil and the fact that Masterclass can even fucking put this out there without being seen as anything other than a heightened Fox News for the past, this is disgusting on a level that is unbelievable. 
How fucking dare you put this out there? People fucking died. Thousands. That city's never been the same. It was fucking destroyed. And then the right wing vultures came in, privatized the school. They did. It's just been a fucking nightmare. What's happened there. And this motherfucker with bodies all around him. Heck of a job, Brownie. And you're going to fucking let them just let someone say that. Yeah. This is what your this is what your fucking website is. Grotesque. You're a disgusting organization. I'm done. This podcast brought to you by Masterclass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's astonishing that you sit there and you watch this and you have to wonder like you know, what are they thinking over there as they look at these? Are they just like, yep, what are they? I don't know. I don't know. They don't care. They just think about money and they don't realize like this is how you get Trumps. Yeah. yeah. This is what leads to them. I, I would I would love to know, and you'll never find out. I would love to know what the numbers are on these kind of classes. Like who actually watches them? Because they feel like they're actually kind of ways to buy favors. I no one no one is walking around going, Jesus Christ, you know what? start this business i'm the ceo of this thing whatever it is and i'm i'm i've never had to run a company before and i really really need to get some insight into how to you know lead a group of people i'm going to take the george w bush master class in leadership there's no one person on this planet yeah. doing that no but who was the first one to do it was it hillary or was it somebody else no uh, there have been a few of those first. before so uh, you know so at some point they've realized that this is a way to whitewash their history you right. know and to change it and to redo their legacy so that's why they're going in yeah oh it's also, for sure it, yeah. it's also fascinating to see you know as i i googled it i googled around and like so daily beast is is a is a owned by democrats essentially it's like a lib you know uh online site that does lib news and they just had a they just had a piece about you know was this clearly a paid like article where they wrote up about you know this george bush masterclass he's doing and you know here's and then a link to how to buy it because capitalism doesn't give a shit it does not fucking care how evil you are if if daily beast can make make 500 dollars from people clicking through then okay great and you're talking about clicking through to a war criminal a a vile war criminal not just a war criminal he i mean he's a fucking domestic this is manslaughter that he did yeah. in, in Katrina. This is social manslaughter. Like he's a criminal. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, you know, all of the, um, you know, terrible, like he, this guy was trying to pass a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage, you know, all of yeah. the anti-abortion work that administration does. I mean, like the things that are most important to people, now at this moment the rights that are under threat he was on the wrong side of every single one in you know a huge way and mm -hmm. i i think it is just like that thing that you're saying where you know there's this like oh as long as we all unite against trump you know so yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's giving him a moment where he can he can take advantage of that and and uh yeah yeah I, but i can i can unite against trump look if my next door if the guy across the street from me it turns out he's a serial killer and he killed four people. I can still hate Bundy. Like I <laughs> yes, get to hate both serial killers. Yeah, no, obviously. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not like, oh, well, look, Bundy's not as bad anymore because Frank across the street killed 19 people. It's not right. how it fucking works. They're all bad. What's, yeah, the, but Dave, what's the problem? Dave, you're going to shit when you hear about Adolf Hitler. 
I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the it's enemy like, of my enemy thing, but which it's is not, insane, which is not an absolute, by the way. It's only it's only an occasional coincidence that the enemy of your enemy is your friend. It's very yeah. often the enemy of your enemy is still a piece of shit that you. The enemy of my enemy, personally, still a podcaster. It is just <laughs> uh, there's no escaping it. But I, you know, I think like. You know, it's obviously like, you know, what's masterclasses agenda, you know, obviously like capitalism and stuff. But I think that, you know, the reason that all this stuff is palatable and isn't going to raise the types of criticisms that you're saying is because, you know, people have already whitewashed the legacy of George W. Bush. It's like this isn't this isn't step one of whitewashing that legacy. It's already right. been done. Like the Obamas, you know, probably more so than anyone in my opinion, whitewashed the legacy of George W. Bush. Very much so. Yeah, they yeah. did a really big job. Yeah. But like if 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 someone says if if you got Trump and you're like, I fucking hate him and then George W. Bush comes out and says yeah, he's not that good. Your first response should be, go fuck you too. Like you shouldn't. That's it. You both go fuck yourself. That's it. I agree. Of course. Yeah. Um, let, let's go out. There's a nice, this is the introduction. Uh, I mentioned that uh, bio earlier from Gene Edward Smith. Um, we're going to go out on a, the, a, a bit of the introduction of this book because it, 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 it does it well. And it's a nice reminder of who this guy was. If, if you haven't already gotten that. Uh, rarely in the history of the United States has the nation been so ill-served during the presidency of George W. Bush. When Bush took office in 2001, the federal budget ran a surplus. The national debt stood at a generational low of 56% of gross domestic budget. And unemployment clocked in at 4%, which most economists consider the practical equivalent of full employment. The government's tax revenue amounted to $2.1 trillion annually, of which $1 trillion came from personal income taxes and another $200 billion from corporate taxes. Military spending totaled $350 billion, or 3% of GDP, a low not seen since the late 1940s, and not one American had been killed in combat in almost a decade. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Eight years later, the United States found itself in two distant wars of choice. Military spending constituted 20% of all federal outlays and more than 5% of the GDP. The final Bush budget was $1.4 trillion in the red, and the national debt was out of control. The GDP had increased from 10.3 trillion to 14.2 during those eight years, but a series of tax cuts that Bush introduced had reduced the government's revenue revenue from personal income taxes by 9% and corporate taxes by 33. Unemployment stood at 9.3% rising. Two million Americans had lost their home when a housing bubble burst and new construction was at a standstill. The stock market, stock market, blah, blah, blah. The stock market had taken a nosedive. The dollar had lost much of its former value and gasoline sold for 3.27 a gallon. Unprepared for the complexities of government with little executive experience and glaring deficits in his attention span, untutored, untraveled, and unversed in the ways of the world, Bush thrived on making a show of his decisiveness. I'm not afraid to make decisions, he told a biographer. Matter of fact, I like this aspect of the presidency. Which is interesting, because having watched all of these, and we'll sort of do a summing up at the very end, he never once refers to himself in any of these as the decider. Remember when that was his uh, his name for himself? Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. I, that I wonder that was why his he's name. dropped that. For, it's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, yeah. Not not really hard to think about why he is not uh, wanting to take credit for some of these decisions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating to you know you go back and you think about the stuff that he did. Like, um, they refused to uh, uh, reveal the names of the people who were visiting the White House. Now it had always been like legally you right. have to you know 
uh, put the name. So they just decided not to do that because it was like Kevin Lay and shit. Uh, They refused uh, to uh, honor uh, Congress's subpoenas for them to appear like they were just they were little Trumps like that. You know, people want to sit there and go Trump's this new thing. Like, no, they were fucking doing it. They were completely ignoring the laws back then and just doing whatever the fuck they wanted while just completely destroying the fucking country. Like the shit you just read is like. You know, yeah. the reason right now we're having we have such a disaster with COVID, the reason we have such a disaster with, with the people who don't live in homes is because there's nothing that can be done because the taxes have all been taken away and there's everything's been pared back to nothing. I mean, we just had this thing where we just they're just like, oh, we passed this bill where we're going to mandate people get mental health, um, mental health care who are homeless from who? There are no mental health care workers yeah. for anybody. The people who want them, who have insurance, can't get them. Yeah. How the fuck are you going to mandate that for fucking people who are unhoused? What in the fuck are you talking about? All goes back to Bush. All goes back to Reagan. Mm. They cut everything. They Once you start doing these taxes, you have to cut everything, and then you have fucking nothing. We'll be back next week with how to build a strong team and make (laughs) tough decisions (laughs) as we continue our journey, (laughs) our journey to hell with uh, George W. Bush teaching us how to be leaders. I want to ask you all if you learned anything this week, but I think, well, yeah, why don't we do that? I already knew how to hate, so that I didn't learn. Dave, get in the spirit of the game. I mean, I definitely... I mean, the thing I you take away from this is like, you know, they never stop doing propaganda to learn their ground and then they won't stop doing it when they're in the ground either. I mean, look at look at the queen like she dies and it's just propaganda fights. Yeah, like, it just never exactly. Ends. And uh, Kate, did you, uh, you pick up any I mean, tips this week? I think that I, you know, in terms of like the time that George W. Bush was president. I I mean, I hated the guy to the point that I had a stomach ache about it every day, but I was not consuming the news cycle in the way that I am now and the way that many of us are now. We're like, I just kind of really, you know, knowing exactly what he was up to and just kind of hearing the specifics again of how he handled Katrina, for example. I mean, it's just really... Uh, there's not a doubt in my mind that this guy was worse than Trump, you know? I mean, Trump is horrible. I, I really hate people him. Have a hard, people have a hard time, you know, sort of understanding why anyone can say that. But, you know, go ask the people who live in Iraq. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not hard to see how bad this guy was. Like, he, he as bad as Trump was, and he was a fucking monster, he didn't, he didn't destabilize the world. Yeah. And also with Trump, you know, this is kind of a hack point, but he was not as competent as George W. Bush and his administration was always falling apart. Like it it wasn't the same, you know, well, well oiled, tight little click that Bush's administration was. And also there was, you know, even though some of it can be a bit toothless, there was some degree of resistance to Trump. And I think, you know, with Bush, you know, especially on the foreign policy stuff, Iraq, Afghanistan, there were people protesting, but it was like a thing where 
a lot of liberals were just completely on board for it or felt like it was a necessary evil. It was taboo Mm -hmm. to protest, whereas it was never taboo to protest under Trump. Never. Yeah. And the thing, no, you're, you're, you're right. And it's like, it's such a weird thing because he did tremendous damage, but what really cracked me up the most about Trump, um, had this conversation with a friend who works in, in Wall Street. And I was like, I, I know nothing about the market. I, I barely understand how that shit works. I will tell you this, however, if I had no scruples whatsoever and you may be president of the United States for a week, I could become a billionaire. Overnight yeah, absolutely. With, like, with nothing. Trump gets into the White House. And what does he do? He starts selling his wife's shitty homemade jewelry at whitehouse.gov. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there was such a... He opens an Etsy shop. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> The degree of the uh, grift sometimes was so was so cheesy and low rent. Whereas, you know, Bush and Cheney set out to remake the world uh, and succeeded to a great extent um, into a kind of uh, the, a hellish place that it is now. And gave um, it moral cover. Like, I mean, immoral cover, really. But, you know, uh, you know, got a lot of people to to buy into it. Like, I think with Trump, like the grift was always like, you know, very, very acknowledged and open and nobody was really in doubt about it but i think that you know at least more than 50 percent of people probably way more than 50 percent were really bought into the belief that we were spreading democracy and Mm -hmm. fighting terror and you know doing compassionate conservatism and giving you know kids uh, opportunities better than the ones that they had had in public school with all this you know no child left behind like people did not see that a lot of this stuff was just nakedly a money-making project for bush and his cronies yeah well I was just gonna say I learned how to look over the horizon. So <laughs> that's that's I learned takeaway. that I should be interested in other people. I haven't thought that's about right. that one in a while. Yeah. <laughs> listen, to, yeah. listen to them. Act like you care what they think. Yes, exactly. Uh we'll be back next week with more of the Bush Masterclass. Uh more more of this fun. More of our study buddy Kate Willett. And uh thank you for joining us. <laughs> You see those fools at the back of the class They don't care about grades or if they fail or pass They ain't here to learn, they're just here for laughs To take your homework just to tear it in half If you want blood, you got it You trap a keeper, I'll on it Give me a crap, I'll blot it This ain't the tension, baby, this is the We want to thank our incredible support team, uh, Brian Ciano, our free floating agent of chaos, AKA research guy. And also Colin McCoy, who does all of our music. You can also find him. He out there in music world. He is known as diesel boots.